disrespecting you haters I ain't sweating your opinion Y'all been testing my patience Never did it for a check I've been impressed with the famous Just rather be creative Than stressing my wages Ageless Every time I lay a verse down One play at a time Keep it moving like a first down And at the end of the day I can say that I made this MJ never made it to the major Still he chased greatness Expected that he might fail And I might too I might never get to pop champagne Celebrating with the crew This ain't everything I am It's something that I do Actually, no, not as usual, as unusual. I'm drawn by my boy, Mr. Will. We are pitch hitting for Greg, who, you know, kind of living a better life than what we are at the moment. So he was at a cookout, a little bit jealous, to be quite honest. Never been to no cookout. Is it? Fill me in, man. What am I missing out on? Hey, missing out on probably some good food, you know, especially down yeah, here I'm in Texas where that. we're at right now. I don't, I don't know which cookout our guy is at, but, you know, most likely there's a good chance there's some type of, you know, barbecue, whether it's brisket or ribs, or maybe it's a more standard kind of like, you know, cookout in the sense of burgers, hot dogs, whatever. But uh, it's a beautiful day out here in Austin, man. So definitely jealous our guys out there. I was supposed to play. I was supposed to be out in the nice weather myself. Uh, I was supposed to play a little golf today, but my buddy got sick. So you know what? Backup alternative coming in as a pinch hitter, hanging out with you, Adam. Pretty damn good trade off. I'll take it. It's a man. good Sunday, man. A good Sunday. We still having a good one. We yeah, have and we real. coming off a win. And we're coming up, you know, Sixers game, which, you know, kind of feels like let's just not even talk about that. Let's try to mention that as little as possible on the podcast today. Yeah, I'm done. And you know, we're coming off a big win, especially which really helps ease. I know Adam, you're obviously out in, in England right now, but really eases the the big Patriots loss that that the rest of New England was feeling last night where the Patriots got just demolished in the playoffs. But the Celtics were there to put a, a little cherry on the top of what was a, a disappointing sports day for, for Boston sports fans. I mean, a lot of Celtics fans, and like, there's probably people listening to this show that uh, will fit within this category, and that's completely fine. But a lot of Celtics fans weren't happy that it, the Celtics won in the way they did. You know, yeah. a lot of people like, yo, this team's missing like three or four real big names in their rotation. And you're coming down to one of the last possessions of the game. It's coming down to Rob Williams shooting, turning into a clutch for, uh, free throw shooter. You know, is that really how you envisioned it going? And I feel like some of that frustration was because of that Patriots loss as well. Like, yeah. man, we, you know, the Pats lost and then the Celtics just squeezed past GD Chicago. Like, what's going on here? But, like, I've always been a very big, and I don't know whether this is just, like, the combat sports mentality or you know, being in Europe and hearing like soccer fans kind of push it all the time. But, you know, you can only beat what's in front of you. 100%. Yeah, and the, and here's matter. the thing. Here's the biggest thing, Adam. Too many times this year, we haven't done that. That that seems so yeah, simple. Real, Too many times they haven't done it. And so, you know what? Was it the way that you would have envisioned it going into the game? You know, and I'm sure like most New Englanders, you know, I was, I was tuned in doing double duty last night. I had to Patriots on the big screen. I had the Celtics on the laptop. Was was kind of going back and forth, and and at one point they overlapped as both being relatively depressing. But at the end, <laughs> but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you know, the Celtics were able to pull it out. This wasn't the Clippers game, plural. This wasn't the Suns without a lot of their players. This wasn't the Timberwolves game. This was a game where they walked away with one more win than they had before they started. And at the end of the day, that's the goal. Regardless of how you get there, the goal is to go from start the night, what, 21 and 22, and the night 22 and 22, and it's exactly what they did. Yeah, and a win's a win. Like, again, I'm very big on, you know, you can only beat what's in front of you. And a lot a lot of these G League guys that are being called up, a lot of these 10-day guys, they're playing hard, dude. These guys want yeah. contracts. They, they want to be, 
able to go home to their hometown and be like, yo, I'm in the NBA. What are you doing, bro? You know what yeah, I mean? I mean, like, yo, last night, like, I don't know who I have. I honestly have no idea who Malcolm Hill is. I'm looking at NBA.com. He doesn't even have a photo. He just has, like, the NBA logo. Like, they don't, they don't have a photo. And he was playing crunch time minutes for the yeah. Bulls last night. And, you know, look, look, let's be honest, this guy put out there for 18 minutes at a net rating of minus three plus minus of, you know, minus three. And, you know, he was he was get, he was playing hard. His stats don't look great, but that guy was playing hard and I didn't know who he was. I had to look him up. But like that's, you know, that's what the Bulls put out there last night. And that's what kept them in the game. You know, you and I were talking pregame, kind of like what we liked, didn't like kind of setting up the podcast today. And. You know, there, there was a stretch towards the end of the third, early fourth, where I really thought the Celtics could have could have put some separation. But credit to the Bulls, they had their their G League backup guys, you know, younger guys that are fighting for contracts, and they played their tail off, and that's what kept them in the game and, and gave them a lead at certain points in the fourth. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like there was times where they were really getting under the ball, they were trying to force turnovers, they were making life difficult to put to to even dribble, you know, trying to break these guys down. Early in the game, you saw Tatum. He was getting he was getting whatever he wanted as he drove to yeah. the hoop. He was creating his own lanes. He was Euro-stepping past guys, putting guys on his hip. He just got whatever he wanted. Then Jalen Brown had to stretch you doing some similar stuff. You, you saw some mid-range stuff. And all of a sudden, the balls were like, yo, this is pride. You know, this is the, the, the And then, then things changed. And that should be fine. Like, I don't see the issue there. Like, you won. You know what I yeah. mean? These guys were meant to play hard. They're trying to get contracts. The, and you're playing against a team that are all co- on long-term contracts. They lose a game, they move on to the next. You play bad, you might never get another opportunity. So I understand why everybody would want the, the Celtics to blow them out. And I, trust me, I, I'm I'm on that same boat. You know, <laughs> the, the team needs a real big kind of morale-boosting victory, like they had against Phoenix, but one where there's like a 30-point differential, and mm-hmm. they really just took care of business. They need that. We need that. Uh, fans, analysts, media, everybody that follows the Celtics needs a win like that. But against a team that's just coming out there to play for literally their survival, like in terms of career survival, I don't think those are the games that are going to happen because, you know, yourself, if if you've played basketball, even at pickup level, if you've got that one guy that's in your grill all through the game, it doesn't matter how much better you are than him or her, then eventually they're going to really wear you down mentally because you know this this person just keeps on coming. There's, like, there's nothing I can going back to that Charlie Conway, you know, had Mighty Ducks little D three Mighty Ducks where he tries to triple deke and they just shut him down and he's like, man, what have I got to do? <laughs> like it, it's that type of mentality, right? Yeah, and I mean, and then if you look at this Bulls roster, like yes, they were they were decimated with with a good chunk of their rotation. They still came in with two All Star level players that are playing over thirty five minutes. So. It's not as if that they were completely helpless. And to your point that we started this whole conversation with, at the end of the day, you play who's in front of you. DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vucevic, you know, Ayo Dostumu is a really nice rookie. Kobe White, those are four very quality NBA players that played 35 to 40 minutes each last night. So they still had guys out there that were competing at a very high level that were capable and they were supplemented with a lot more guys that, you know, you just spoke to or that kind of Charlie Conway mentality. And, you know, the Celtics have folded at times this year when they've been presented with th- those type of guys that are having career nights or fighting for their, their next NBA contract. And, you know, last night when push came to shove, they got the job done. And especially, I think a guy who we got to talk about is Lob Williams. 
he was amazing last night. Steps up in just, I mean, you watch, I watched that game. So I said I was doing double duty last night, watching the Pats and watching the Celtics. So I rewatched the Celtics game this morning before we record. And every moment that Rob Williams was on the floor last night, his fingerprints were all over that, even in mm-hmm. stuff that was a choking box score. Just, just the way he was influencing shots, the way that he was keeping possessions alive. He was active in every single part of that game. And, you know, I know he had the triple-double against against Phoenix, and he's on a really nice run right now. I think this is probably the top, like, this was a Robert Williams game last night of the season for, for him and for the team. Yeah, for real, man. I mean, if you look at just the way he plays the outlets he offers you, so I put a tweet out earlier today where it was just literally a give-and-go with Jalen Brown from a pistol set that kind of broke down because they were going to run pistol chase, which is where one guard passes to another guard, cuts off, and then gets a bounce ball back. But they were going to run that. Um, The Bulls defended it really well, cut off. um, I think it was Dennis Schroeder who was going to cut after giving it up to JB, but the Bulls cut off Dennis Schroeder's curl. So JB took the ball, found defense, kind of stepped up to hedge him, and he just gave the rock up to Robert Williams. Robert Williams stands on the perimeter, waits, JB fakes one way, darts towards the rim. Rob Williams just hits him with a pinpoint pass and finish. And it's just that out, that luxury of having an outlet that can see over the top of the defense from the top of the perimeter and still hold gravity even though he can't shoot because the moment he gets that ball back out of his hands and starts to roll to the rim, everybody needs to be aware. You know, so like... And then you add in the fact that if he gets the ball back around the free throw line, he's going to hit somebody with another pass. If he gets to the rim and he doesn't have the ball in his hands, he's going to hover around the dunker spot for a putback or a rebound. He's just becoming incredibly, and I use this word a bunch, but it's true, incredibly impactful. I wouldn't say he's dominant yet because dominant to me means you're dominating in one specific aspect, right? Like you dominate in scoring or you dominate in rebounding. Maybe you dominate in scoring and rebounding. Rob Williams isn't dominating. He's just incredible. And maybe to an extent he is, but he's just more incredibly impactful across the board. He's so diverse and multifaceted. And there's not many teams that can rely on their big man to be an outlet when a play when a play breaks down. You know, yeah. there's probably four or five. For sure. And I think I actually think impactful is the perfect word for, for Robert Williams. And we've talked several times about him being kind of the ceiling raiser for this team. And, you know, even when we had Jonathan Macri on a couple of weeks ago or a week or so ago, time is hard to keep track of. I think it was like a week ago. You know, when he was on here, he was saying, you know, the difference between him and Miles Turner, who the Knicks had just played, is that at his peak, Robert Williams is, I think he even used the word, he might have used the word more impactful or just a better player. And it's, it's the imp- And then when we watched, you know, him versus Mitchell Robinson, which we talked about last week. For me, I, I kind of see them as similar style players. And in the two back-to-backs that we had with the Knicks, I thought it was very clear that Robert Williams was more impactful. I think their numbers weren't crazy apart, like far apart. Like Robert Williams had better numbers. But the impact, just what your eye test is telling you when you watch that game, Robert Williams was the one that that, that made a difference in those games. You know what I mean? Like if you had to look at the two. And I think he is a real, you know, separating factor when you look at this team now and into the future, and especially when you pair it with that contract, you know, it, it makes him one of the biggest steals in the league, barring any health injury, you know, health issues. That's going to be the biggest question. It's going to be over the next, you know, four and a half years, half this year's gone, plus the extension that kicks in next year. If he's healthy, it's going to be one of the biggest steals in the league. And, you know, hopefully it, it, it's, uh, you know, he's going to be a guy that that's part of the core along with the Jays going forward. But 
you know, and I don't want to get into this now because he's so good and it's just, I love watching him play, <laughs> but it does make, you know, if, if you think of him as a, a B or a B minus asset or player, like his contract makes him a B plus A minus because that's how good it is to have someone of that level on your team. And it just makes him that much more appealing, both for the Celtics and if an opportunity presents itself, you know, outside of a, in a trade market somewhere down the line. Yeah. And if you want to talk about being able to kind of like improve that rating at all, those free throws at the end of the game should give you so much hope, right? Like the form. Adam, I got a, I got a great fun stat coming on that later for you. Yeah, I want to give me all the fun stats you've got, dude. I'm being <laughs> genuinely serious when I say that. Like, if you can consistently become a reliable free throw shooter, the next development for you is to con- become a consistent mid range shooter. And those yeah. two, you know, if you can generate enough space for Rob off of short rolls, off of setting a back screen for him to roll towards and then kind of, I don't know, finish his run around about the free throw line extended in a bit of space and just pull up off a quick um, catch and shoot. And he consistently starts hitting those jumpers. You need to really start being concerned for the amount of playmaking that's going to open mm-hmm. up around the floor for him too. Now, there's so much room for this guy to evolve. And that's the scary part, right? Because he's impacting games already. And I've said this before, and I've wrote about this before. I don't believe he'll ever crack the best best bigs in the league conversation. I just think that unless he can develop a 37 to 40 percent free um, free point shot, he it's yeah, just unreasonable. Yeah, it's unreasonable to expect that development, and it's unreasonable to expect him to crack that top five, top six picks in the league. Yeah, but I genuinely believe that if he keeps developing like this, adds a, a reliable mid range jumper to his um, arsenal, and the Celtics allow him to initiate some offense. He could be the best of the rest. Yeah, and I think you know even even last night, Adam, I I was, I was watching. I think it was in the in the first quarter. He had I don't know if you want to label it a hook shot or a little uh, a little floater shot that he had in the lane, and it's something that we don't typically see out of him. So as he just starts to add little pieces of weapons to his arsenal, I think, and it's mostly with him scoring the basketball because there's one of my you know pet peeves is when he's not dunking the ball or you know putting the ball back in off a tip or a putback he isn't necessarily much of a weapon on that short roll to your point or, you know, being any type of, you know, pick and pop threat. And if he can get a little bit more aggressive and work on that part of that game, it's going to unlock so many different options. And even just seeing last night, him making that one shot, which was a little bit, you know, out of the norm, what we usually see from him, I think that's a step in the right direction. And just seeing those little crumbs as as the season goes on are going to be, you know, are going to be so, once again, sticking with our word of the day, impactful for this team. Honestly, it's my word of the year, man. I'm genuinely, like, I'm not judging players anymore on what they should be. I'm judging them on how they impact games because I feel like that's the most, the fairest way I can judge somebody is how did you impact the game. And for the last few months, Rob Williams has arguably, arguably been the best impactful player on the Celtics roster. You know, you could lean Jason Tatum when he's hot. You could lean Jalen Brown when he's hot. But in terms of consistency, and you know what you're getting on a, on a night-to-night basis, you, you you can't argue with Robert Williams. And it made me stutter because I'm like, yo, I don't know how anybody could be like, yo, let's move Robert Williams. Uh, so to me, I don't think anyone's untradeable apart from probably Tatum. But I'd have to think real long and hard before making a decision to move Robert Williams. Yeah, However, I think that's a big fact, but yeah. Big facts, like big, big facts. However, what we're going to do now is we're going to talk about a player that 
has been impactful for the last few games. I'm going to give him his flowers. You know, if, if you deserve flowers, you get flowers. But he's very tradable right now. Remove him from the team, Mr. Dennis Schroeder. Now he's the kind right, of like. Do it. This is this our progress line. report. This is our progress report section. We're yeah, to yeah. This okay. is our progress report section. So I'm kind of looking at Dennis Schroeder. I'm thinking to myself, right, Marcus Smart's out. You've stepped back into the starting lineup where you've probably, I think you have spent more games as a starting guard than you have off the bench at this point where it's close. I haven't looked at the numbers to be fair to back that up. And there was a game, in, who was it now? So the game before Philly, who did they play before Philly? It's all blurred into one. Uh, it was the back-to-back with Indiana, the home and away. Yeah. So the second game against Indiana, Dennis, that was arguably, in my opinion, one of Dennis Schroeder's best games. To the point where I wrote about Dennis Schroeder being good. And that was something I never expected to do all season. I was abstaining from writing about Dennis Schroeder in any form. Uh, but any, anyway, you know, he made me write about him. Uh, his movement after ball was good. He was passing well. He, his shots were very well selected. He was pressuring the rim. When he did pull up from the mid-range, it was because there was space there to do so. Nothing looked forced. Against the Sixers, you know, everybody had ups and downs. You can yeah. kind of Let's, just write that just, off. Just, just, just scratch that game. Yeah, no, you can. No. Like, I mean, look, he made an impact, but at the same time, he didn't win. And if we're being quite honest, everybody was below their level. Yeah. And then you move on to the Chicago game, and it's like, he played well. You know, I don't feel like he forced much. I feel like he attacked the rim. He gave you pressure. He gave you scoring. Again, there was a couple of shots where I was like, I would have preferred you to pass there, but there was nothing where I was screaming, what the hell are you doing? And I think that, <laughs> which I do a lot when Dennis Schroeder plays, if you weren't aware. But as a whole, I think this, this three-game stretch that he's been on has been better than what we've seen. It's kind of been like early season Dennis Schroeder, where it genuinely felt like he was playing to earn more money next season, rather than playing... Because there's a difference, right? There's a difference from playing to earn more money next year by playing within a system to playing to put yourself in a shop window. If you play to put yourself in a shop window, you're calling your own number every time. Like, hey, come and trade for me now. You need me right now. If you're playing to earn more money, you're doing it within the flow of an offense. You're taking the ever-turnover approach where it's like, hey, if I just thrive in the system that I'm being asked to play in, somebody's going to see that and offer me the bag next contract, right? And I think he's kind of reverted back to that mentality. I still want to trade him because I still feel like I want Peyton Pritchard getting those minutes, mm-hmm. um, you know? But at the same time, I can understand why Dennis Schroeder is above Pritchard in the in the pecking order right now based off those three performances. We're just looking at so, over the last three games, why did Schroeder play more than Pritchard? Well, it's quite obvious when you rewatch yeah. the tape. Yeah, I mean, last night I think Dennis Schroeder had, and this is the first thing I always do when I went after, you know, after a game when I'm looking at Dennis Schroeder and trying to assess his games. I feel like just the eye test with Schroeder, it's always going to feel a little bit more erratic than maybe it is sometimes, and sometimes it's validated, sometimes it's not. But like last night, you look at his stat line. He's six of nine from the field, one of one from three, gets to the line four times, knocks down three of them. He's got six rebounds, eight assists, and one turnover for a total of 16 points. If you tell me that's the Dennis Schroeder game I'm getting before the game, pregame, you just come to me and say, listen, here's the deal. You can get this stat line from Dennis Schroeder. I'm taking that deal every time. You know, he's playing 36 minutes last night, probably a little bit more than than I would like to see on average, but obviously with Marcus Smart out, that makes a ton of sense. But I think these types of games are the ones where where Dennis Schroeder can have a real, you know, a a ton of value. And, you know, pregame, or even earlier in this podcast, we're talking about, you know, all the players that are filling in for, for the Bulls. And this is where when having a guy like Dennis who can step right in 
and play larger minutes, play with the starters, can, you know, be a guy that can go get you some buckets, can play, uh, can play at a level that helps supplement, you know, the Jays when they didn't have necessarily their best games last night. And you have a guy like Dennis Schroeder that can go get you an additional 16 points on nine shots, get to the line four times. Like that's an extremely valuable asset over the, the length of the season. Now, Having said that, I think I'm with you. I think he's probably going to get traded in the, in the next three weeks. But it is a very nice luxury to have. And there is times, and this has been kind of the the you know, the the thing with Dennis Schroeder throughout the season. It, it's all kind of a timing thing with him. Is there's nights where he has it and he looks like, you know, this is this is why you want a guy like this. And there's other times where he just feels like it's in the wrong scenario, the wrong situation. And it's it's where your, you know, distaste for him you know, kind of, kind of originates, but last night and for most of this week, save for the Philly game, which was a disaster for almost everybody in the Celtics team. It's been a really nice stretch for Dennis Schroeder, I think. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's like, you have to be a willing passer. If you can get to the rim as much as what Schroeder does as easily as what Schroeder does, you have to be willing to redirect the rock when that defense rotates over because they're going to rotate over. It's very rare in the NBA that you're going to continually get a clear line drive to the hoop and not meet a buddy at some mm. point. You might get there two or three times a game with no resistance because a screen's took someone out and then someone else has sealed their man or whatever. But the, the rest of the times that you get there, there's somebody waiting or there's somebody hedging, um, digging on you and you need to pass the rock. And if you can do that consistently and hit your target, obviously you'd be passing the rock and it's getting picked every time and there's no point passing. But if you can consistently hit your target and not care whether it turns into an assist, but just care that it was the right play to make, you're going to you're gonna be fine. You're going to be impactful. You're going to fit within the system. You're going to get the minutes that you need. And somebody somewhere is going to take note and be like, yo, let, let's talk to this guy in the summer because we could do with somebody like that on our roster. But we, we've seldom, seldom seen that from Dennis Schroeder. It's very much been like, hey, watch me. It's kind of like, um, you watch The Incredibles. Uh, I have before, yes. You know the young boy, not not Jack Jack. The, but, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the the little kid that's super fast. I forget. Yeah, and he's like, and he's always like, look at me, and he's all vroom, and he's running on water and stuff. That's how I feel when I'm watching Dennis Schroeder. Right? <laughs> he's like, watch how fast I am. You see how fast I am? Watch it again, and does it again, and he's just like, dude, just do that, pass the rock, and that's all we want. And then yeah. if the, if the shots there, the shots there. If it's not, pass the rock. You know, there's going to be Robert Williams, who's Mister Incredible right now, driving down the middle of the lane, ready to power it through. And I just feel like that's where the biggest, where my abstinence of enjoyment from Dennis Schroeder has kind of formed. But this last few games has been good. Yeah. So for your progress report, who do you have? Yeah, before I get to that, just real quick, Dennis Schroeder was definitely that hyper overactive kid on the playground who like everyone was oh, kind of just like, yo, th- this guy probably has like ADHD or something. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So was, like th- this kid is just bouncing off the wall. Someone gave him an extra juice box at lunchtime. Like that was totally Dennis Schroeder as a kid. So I, I don't I don't think your comparison's too far off. But yeah, for sure. <laughs> anyways, for my progress report, I'm actually going with the guy that you already mentioned as we're talking about Dennis Schroeder. I'm going with Peyton Pritchard. So my God. number one, number one, I could have gone with Lob Williams here, but I feel like we're just going to talk about him a bunch. Anyways, he's on a great stretch right now. We kind of talked about him last time I was here on, uh, I think it was last Monday or last Wednesday, whatever it was. So uh, I'll, I'll stop with that for now. And I'll just go to Peyton Pritchard. You know, I talked a lot about right before he ended up in health and safety. If Ime does not give this guy a chance to play, I was going to lose my mind. So he comes back this week, three games, plays 16 minutes per game, 
ends up averaging 8.7 points on the week on 54.5% shooting from three. Peyton Pritchard, to me, is a guy, you know, we, we, we've talked a lot about these young guys on the team and how people need to step up. Grant has clearly put himself as he's getting 15 to 25 minutes, depending on, you know, what's needed per night. Like Grant's in the rotation, fully, solidly, going to be there every single night. We'll get a couple spot starts. Peyton Pritchard's the other guy that I think really needs to, to be out there in some capacity, you know, for certain stretches of time because of what he can do. And I just think he's a professional backup point guard. Like, that's what I think he's going to be in this league. And I think he's probably closer to being who he's going to be in this league than some of our other guys who still need more development. Not that Pritchard doesn't need more development, but he's going to be closer to a finished product. And what he can bring right now, NBA skill set that's ready-made, I think he just has to be out there. And I don't think he needs to be out there for crazy stretches because to your point with Dennis Schroeder, when, when he's on, Schroeder's the better player right now. Schroeder should be out there more often when he's on. But we've talked about it all year. We just need more of that shooting. We need more of that spacing. I think Pritchard gives you a little bit of variability. He also gives you a little bit of that Schroederness in the sense that he can get in the lane. He can mix it up a little bit. I think the one thing he really needs to work on, and our guy, Greg, the other part of the three-man weave here, is really big on players being on time and on target with their passes. A lot of times Peyton Pritchard's a step behind with some of the passes he needs to make. That's because he's so, you know, score first mentality, I think. But I think that will improve with him being on the court more often. But I'm really excited to see that he's come back for these three games, didn't get buried, got some playing time, and was making the most out of it. So I'm very encouraged that he's going to continue to be a part of the rotation in the sense that he's going to get consistent nightly minutes. And then if Schroeder is to be traded within the next couple of weeks, like I think we're both kind of predicting will, will likely be a scenario, he'll have, you know, more of a footing to be ready to get more minutes later in the season. Yeah, and I think that when he's coming off the bench and hitting big threes like he did against the Bulls, being given the opportunity to play off ball as well as on ball, because I think Udoka is doing a very good job of putting him in positions to be off ball, to be on ball, to kind of get a taste of when to space the floor, when to call his own number and run a run a set run a play off a pick and roll or create an action by penetrating and then kicking. I think that Udoka is doing a real good job of kind of giving Pritchard a taste of both type of worlds because even Dennis Schroeder has set has set moments where he's off ball. He'll have times yeah. where he's not going to be part of a play and your job now is to go and find yourself in the slot or on the wing. And if the ball finds you, fine. But for this possession, you're not really going to be featured. And I think Dennis, um, Dennis Schroeder isn't as comfortable in that type of role as what Peyton Pritchard will be because of the way Udoka's kind of playing him right now. And if we remember as well, Pritchard last year spent most of the time playing at the two guard. For that same reason, Pritchard was more off ball than on. And as you say, like his passing is a step behind, but that's kind of the the downside to not giving him enough minutes to develop as a playmaker, right? Like you're putting him on there, say he's getting 15, say you give him 12 minutes a night, Arguably, eight of them are in an off-ball role. So you're only giving him four minutes worth of offensive initiation to develop his his passing and his vision, his timing. I think that's going to be the most important thing for him. It's not so much spotting the pass. I think he sees the pass, but I think he yeah. sees it a step late. So his timing, his ability for the, get the, the floor to slow down, you know, the, the new school analysts will call it processing speed. Old school analysts will just be like the game slowing down. It's the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just some people want to sound smarter than others. Um, if you want the game to slow down for him, you need to give him minutes to allow it to do so. 
So his yeah. processing speed can catch up to how quickly his body moves. Yeah. I, I'm genuinely very big. I'm a big proponent of reducing Schroeder's minutes and increasing Pritchard's. Pritchard's going to be here after this season. Schroeder's not. That's just the be-all and end-all of it. Um, so I, I'm completely in with you. I think he has come back. He's shown that hasn't really missed a step. His three-point shooting was definitely needed last night. Mm-hmm. And I think he's one of those guys that can provide you enough scoring gravity to start opening the floor up a little bit more. And with a team like the Celtics that are completely devoid of shooting talent, Pritchard needs to be getting more minutes, needs to be getting more comfortable with the ball in his hands, with the ball out of his hands, and just understanding the way the game flows when he's in with the starters rather than when he's in with the bench. Because the flow of the game is completely different. It's meant to be completely different. But you need to know both. You need to know how to operate the bench unit. You need to know how to operate with the starters, where you fit within the hierarchy of each of those and how you fit in to get, get in where you fit in with each of those as well. Yeah, and, and that's where I think, you know, aside from trying to get maybe some future assets for, for Dennis Schroeder at the trade deadline, you know, being in a position where we're 500, where, you know, there's there's opportunity for the Celtics here to make a run as the East is kind of, you know, very fluid right now with a lot of injuries happening around around the conference. But I still don't think at the end of the day, they're really going to be in position to make a run for it where it makes more sense to keep Schroeder versus moving him. And the other side of that is aside from getting, you know, some type of asset for Schroeder is you open up those minutes for Pritchard, who then hopefully as you come into next year, which would be year three for him, in which we saw, obviously we've seen Grant take, you know, a, a step in his development, you're hoping that even if Pritchard has some missteps this year, that next year, because you're going to have him under contract next year and the year after, you start to see more of that growth because to your point, instead of getting eight minutes off ball, four minutes, you know, kind of running the offense, maybe it's now, you know, 10 and six or something or or whatever it increases to if, if Schroeder's not there and that that will ultimately, you know, make for increased development next year when you know you're going to have him in a, in a more, not primary role, but, you know, a more pronounced role. Featured role type of Yeah, thing, feature yeah. role is a good word for it. Yeah. I think for me, the last thing I'll say on this as well is young guys need to be able to play freely. They need to know that one mistake's not, not going to get them pulled. And you, you can't yank Pritchard if Schroeder's no longer on the roster because there's no one else there that can come in and fill, fill in for him. Unless you're going to put Josh Richardson at the one, then, you know, you... But even that, you be, still have to find some minutes somewhere. Exactly, He's not going to be able to exactly. do it full time. Yeah. So Pritchard's going to be like, okay, I made this mistake. It's okay. Just on to the next play. Whereas right now, I feel like one of the biggest things that's hindering not only Pritchard, but Neesmith as well, and to a lesser extent, Romeo, mm-hmm. is one mistake will get you benched for the rest of the game because there's so much other talent around you that can step in and is technically ahead of you in that pecking order that if you're not damn near perfect on every possession then there's going to be a time where Udoka's like, right, we can't afford for these mistakes. We're trying to win. We've had a bad start to the year. You've got to sit. And that that's not good for anybody. It's not good for the Celtics long-term because these players are meant to be part of the future core. It's not good for the players in the immediate or the long-term future. All it's doing is giving veterans that don't project to be here longer than a, one to two years additional playing time to improve their stock. And then they're probably going to walk in free agency anyway. You know what I mean? You you let Dennis Schroeder play all season. You don't trade him. You've just built Dennis Schroeder. Dennis Schroeder goes away, gets the bag, and you're left without a guard, and Pritchard's a year behind in his development. So I, I think that being in a position where you remove some of the talent that could cause that kind of tentativeness with these young guys, I think that's actually a positive. It's an addition by subtraction in that type of way. That's my, that's my train of thought at the moment anyway. But please keep Josh Richardson. I like Josh Richardson. 
<laughs> yeah, he's been a nice surprise. Well, his his value, I think, is very interesting, whether it's, you know, as a trade piece or keeping him, and he's on contract for next year. So I think he's a really interesting piece to, to keep an eye on. But Adam, are we ready to move on to our to our fun stacks? I have a little bit of trivia here. I want to see if you can get it right. Okay, let's do this. All right. All right, so here it is. So this season, there are three players currently across the entire league shooting 100% on a minimum of 10 free throws, free throw attempts during clutch time. So for those of you listening, clutch time is defined as a five-point uh, differential or less in the last five minutes of game, whether you're leading or behind, five points. Um, and two of these, so there's three guys shooting 100% on a minimum of 10 attempts. Two of these guys are Celtics. Can you name the two Celtics? And then can you name the third guy? Okay, so Rob Williams is one. That's correct. He's 12 for 12 in clutch time. Which I don't is know why. amazing, by the way, but yeah. I don't know why, but my, my gut, for some reason, is telling me to go with Grant Williams. Wrong. Do you want to take another guess, or would you like me to tell you? I'm, I'm assuming it's not one of the two stars, so bear with me. I want one more stab at this. Is it Al Horford? You're wrong. You should have stuck with your gut. It is one of the main guys. So here's what we have. So Rob Williams, 12 of 12 in clutch time, which pretty amazing. And, yeah. you know, last night speaks to that, him stepping up and hitting those four big free throws. And I believe he had two others earlier this week. I don't know if it was, versus, it was in one of the Indiana games, I believe, that he also had some clutch free throws to put him in this category. But actually leading the league with the most free throw attempts without a miss in clutch time is Jason Tatum. Uh, I thought it was just scoring in general. No, no, it's free throws. Just just 10 attempts free throws throughout the season. He's shooting 100%, 26 or 26 in the line. Rob Williams, 12 of 12. And there's one other guy in the league who was 15 of 15 from the line during clutch time. Do you care to venture a guess? Give you one guess, and then we'll move on. It's going to be Steph or LeBron. So that's my guess, Steph or LeBron. (laughs) I love love this so much because it's it's, it's one of your favorite non-Celtic players. It's one of my favorite. That's not one of my favorite <laughs> non-Celtics players, dude. But I tell you what, I'm warming to the idea of Buddy Hill more and more. Ooh, tell me more about this. I just think they need more scoring. I think that you know, um, Buddy Hill's going to come in. He's going to give you on-ball scoring. He's going to be a movement shooter. He's going to be somebody that can score off the catch, score off the dribble. He's never going to be a defensive piece. But I've kind of, I've sat down and thought about it a lot. A lot of my how can I word this? A lot of my negativeness towards Hill has always been based on, oh, he's a defensive liability. He's not going to, you know, for every three points he gives you, he's probably going to give up two on the defensive end when teams target him, right? But then I've sat there and I'm like, well, Duncan Robinson's not a defensive upside either. Duncan Robinson's a bit of a, a downswing on defense. But if you offered me Duncan Robinson, I'd snatch your hand off for Duncan Robinson. You know what I mean? And then I'm like, in fact, most guys that are just single-skill assets, like Buddy Hield, like Duncan Robinson, that type of guy, like Kyle Korver was, they're all defensively limited. That's because that they're a single-skill asset. That's the point in them being in the word single-skill, the clues in the name. <laughs> so 
I'm, I'm like, yo, you, you run Buddy Hield. He's, he's a 40% three-point shooter on his entire career. He's scoring, I think he's at like 37 38% on like five attempts a game at the moment for the Kings over 45 games. And the floor opens up. You see how Pritchard opens that floor up. Imagine that being somebody with like multiple years of consistent scoring. The gravity he would bring when he stepped off that bench would open so much up to attack the rim. So while I'm not a big Buddy Hield guy, if they traded for him, my reaction wouldn't be the same as what it was when the Celtics signed Dennis Schroeder during the offseason. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's all within context, right? Because it depends yeah, for what, a what, what, what goes out, you know? But, but I mean, that's that's for – I mean, we've talked about it so much here. That, that's why I think it's intriguing to see what the combination of whether it's some of the young guys. You know, I said Josh Richardson's value is interesting because, you know, as much as I really like Josh Richardson, I don't buy that his shooting is, is completely legit. Um, as far as him being about a 40% shooter that he's been this year, he's – for his career, mm-hmm. he's more so in that like thirty-three to thirty-five range. He's not, you know, he's not terrible, but he's also not a, you know, a floor spacer in the sense that him just being there is going to demand gravity. You can go back and watch a lot of games where teams are very willing to give him that shot, and then that be the shot they live or die with, as opposed to whatever may get one of the Jays going. Whereas if you have a guy like Buddy Heald, you have a guy like Norm Powell, you have, you know, a few other guys that might be available on the market. That that won't be the case. You know, I will, they're, I will just, they're naturally it. going to have a little bit more gravity, but yeah. Norm Powell is not a single skill wing. That's okay. That, that's fair. I didn't necessarily mean it. In uh, that, no, in I just wanted to, sense, I wanted to make yeah. sure. I just wanted to give you, uh, Norm Powell's my guy right now. That's, you yeah. want, you ask Adam, who do you want the Celtics to trade for? Adam tells you, I'm talking about myself in third person. That's how hype I get. Adam tells you, I want Norm Powell. That's I can't wait for uh, for our guy Greg, other part of the three man weave, to hear this. He is very much not on that side. I still I don't necessarily understand why he'll have to make the case for it. But uh, I saw him last night watching some of the game, and uh, we decided we'll save it for the next time we're on a podcast together because he he was ready to get into it with Norm about Norm Powell. No Norm Powell. Yeah, I don't I don't really understand his um, his aversity to, to to Norm Powell. I'm I'm in the sense of I think he's on a very nice contract. I think, you know, if you can pull off a trade for him where you're giving up, you know, you know, I'm trying to think of what the Blazers would want. If they're, tro- if they're totally building down and they want, you know, shoot, if they wanted Neesmith Langford and, and a first, I would, I would, I would definitely do that. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think like it, it just depends on, on, on what's going out. You know, I don't know if that's enough or, or, or what, but you know, I think Norm Powell, the only thing with Norm Powell for me is that I always, and this is, I never know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. He feels like he plays bigger than he actually is. End of the day, he's actually only 6'3". I feel like he feels in that 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", but then maybe that's because he came from the Raptors where everyone on their team, minus like Fred Van Bleet and Lowry for, you know, for a while, felt like they were 6'5", to 6'10". And that's kind of how they're playing this year too. So maybe I just felt like he was, he was a little bit bigger than he is. But, you know, I think Norman Powell would be a heck of an addition. So it, it just depends if there's an actual, you know, if there's an actual trade to be made there. You know why I like Norm Powell? Because he can he can score from the mid-range too. He can attack a closeout himself, put the ball on the deck, pull up and hit. You know, yeah. I'm not he's not really the best finisher around the room. I'd say he's like a career 59% finisher around the room. But in terms of like long mid-range, short mid-range, and the three-point line, he can score. He can flat out score. His defensive metrics aren't terrible. As you said, he plays a little bit bigger than what he is. Um Norm Powell, for me, is exactly what this team needs off the bench. You know, you, I'm, I'm genuinely, if I had a choice of anyone right now to bring in, 
Um, obviously, within reason. Yeah. You, you ask me, would you obviously you choose Norman Powell over Giannis? No, I'm not stupid. But <laughs> if I had like a choice of like somebody reasonable to bring in, Norman Powell is the top of that list for me. Yeah. Right and, and the other thing to think about is, you know, he, he's very used to playing that third or fourth scorer role. When so you think about sure, his time in Toronto, you think about him, you know, w- with Portland right now with Dame and CJ, like he's very comfortable going to get you 16 to 18 points within his role without having to to overextend, you know, himself and his opportunities. I think I looked at it the other day. He, I mean, he averages roughly 11, 12 shots a game. Like, it's not like it's a it's an overbearing amount of shots. It's, it's a relatively efficient clip. He shoots 37, 38% from three on about, you know, four to six attempts per game over the last three, four years. Like, yeah, I, I don't – we'll have to wait for Greg's explanation of uh, of what he has against Norm Powell. But yeah, I'm borderline offended. He's, he's, he's towards <laughs> the top of my list of guys that would be – you know, I, I think Harrison Barnes is my number one dream for for yeah, who the Celtics could potentially get. Uh, but I think Norm Powell, depending on if uh, you know if the Blazers just go wholesale fire out here and they're selling off everybody for you know for young guys, he would definitely be somebody I'd want to put a call in on. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about dream, then Halliburton's my dream. But yeah, I, I just don't think unless you're talking about Jalen Brown, I don't know if that's I don't know how that's happening. So yeah, it's I, not I, happening. I'm putting that on the back. It's not happening. I do like Harrison Barnes as well. I, but if I had to yeah. choose between Heald and Powell, then I'm going Powell. So I didn't have a fun stat. Getting back to uh, getting back to the discussion, I, I I looked for the stat that I wanted. You, I kind of told you as well. I feel like the Celtics are dunking a lot less this year, um, to the point where I'm like really shocked at how little I feel like they're dunking. If you take Robert Williams dunks out of the equation. I'd be shocked if it was more than two jams a game, if that, if you remove Rob Williams from the yeah. equation. And I'm really curious what their dunking numbers have been like over the last four seasons. So we can get a bigger sample size, whether there's a genuine decline or whether, you know, somebody that was part a big part of jamming at the rim has, has now left the franchise and that's, that's hindered it a bit. But like I said this to you, there was a couple of times last night so we're recording this on sunday just the day after the, the balls game you'll be listening to this on monday or tuesday hopefully hopefully you're listening um but for me it was kind of like yo does Jalen brown's attacking the rim he's finishing with a finger roll well you smoked a layup against the spurs i'd much rather you if you're if you're on the breakaway and you've got a defender chasing you down there's a bit of pressure on the finish i'd much rather you don't Mm-hmm. I just feel like you know you're securing the you're securing the points. There's a chance you're going to smoke a layup. We've seen Jason Tatum smoke what a million layups this season, <laughs> if not more. So I I really wanted to find the Duncan statistic and I couldn't find it anywhere because I feel like that would have been a really fun stat. So because of that, I don't have that have a stat. But if anybody listening knows where to find that stat. Please send share it that us. with me. Yeah, yeah, please send it on over because it is it is interesting to think about because like you know you mentioned even going back the last couple of, of Celtic seasons. And, you know, like you said, outside of Rob, I can't, I mean, Daniel Tice was good for, for a couple alley-oops here and there, mm-hmm. but like, other than that, you can't really think of too many guys that, that you would think about, you know, dunking on a consistent basis, whether that's in traffic or just, you know, even on the break, or even on the fast break. And I remember at the, I think it was the beginning of this year, was it the Mark Spears article where he, he had a sit down with Jalen Brown and Jalen actually even talked about, you know, he talked about his dunk numbers uh, last year being, you know, before his injury, being at like the lowest point since I think his his rookie season. And you know, I haven't followed up to see what those are. We're still trying to find those stats. Like you said, if you find them, send them to us. But it, it is interesting to think about what that dunk ratio looks like. And, and, you know, I'd be curious to know how that compares to the rest of the league as well. I mean, I understand you, Jaden, a little bit more than everybody else. Because if you go back, 
probably about two seasons ago, maybe a little bit longer. He had that one donk where he slipped off the rim, do you remember, and landed on his neck and back. Yeah. And he kind of seized up on the court. So, and I remember him saying in an interview not long after that, like, I'm going to adjust how I play. I don't need to dunk on every every fast break. So I understand in a sense why he's dunking less. But at the same time, if you've got somebody chasing you down you and you're not sure who it is behind you, you're feeling the pressure, just jam the rock. It's a guaranteed two. You can, you can miss a layup. You should know this because you missed one to close out a game literally a week ago. So... I was really looking into it a little bit more. Plus, I grew up on, you know, old school basketball where it was some fun dunks. You know, I grew up on Vince Carter and stuff. Oh, dude. Vince Vince is the heyday of dunking for me, man. Oh, man, dude. Especially when you think of that dunk contest. You know, I was listening to, uh, I think, uh, who was it the other day? I was listening to the Ryan Rosillo podcast, and he was talking about how one of the most, I forget how he got on this topic, but that, like, Young Vince Carter, one of the things like like his miss dunks were almost as amazing as his as his main dunks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's it that's that's like the peak of when a guy is at his you know dunking uh, dunking powers is when you're like I'm amazing. I think John Morant's kind of getting to this. Point yeah, I was just like the first name that you was know on there. Yeah. John Morant's the guy where I'm like if I'm scrolling through Twitter and I know that the Grizzlies have a game, he's the guy I'm looking for because he's the one that that may have a highlight that never counts in any type of box score. But it's a highlight that continues to live on, you know, yeah. day after day, year after year. Uh, and he's just, you know, he's so amazing to watch right now. And that Grizzlies team is, I was saying to, to Greg the other day, that's my like non-Celtics league pass team. I, I'm addicted to checking out the Grizzlies, which is borderline torture with the whole Desmond Bain factor. But the Grizzlies <laughs> are just such a fun team to watch right Smart now. drafting, dude. That's all it is. Yeah. Everyone, like smart drafting, big fan. Um, but yeah, I agree. John ja, ja Morant's probably the closest we're, we're, we're getting to Vince yeah. Carter right now. Um, but I'm a big dunk guy, so that was a stat that I was looking for, and unfortunately I wasn't able to find it, and I spent far too much brain power. <laughs> so uh, it is what it is. We'll move on. I digress. Which leads us over to the winners and losers, and then you know we, we can pretty much let these fine people on their way. We do usually look to the week ahead, but yeah. it's going to be a weird We'll do a quick one. one. Yeah, it's a yeah, little bit weird. So. We'll do a quick one. Uh, what do you got for your winner? My winner this week would have to be Rob Williams. I don't know if there's anybody else that could be there as a winner. Uh, we've spoke about him at length, so I'm just going to literally say Rob Williams and move on. Who's your winner? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the, that's the easy one. I, I just said the Celtics as a team. They had a winning week. They went three and yeah. one. Three you know, and it's, one. It's, yeah. it's, it's been a month since they've had just a pure winning week. December twelfth through eighteenth, they went two and one in that week. Since then, we have not had a, a full winning week. It's either been five hundred or a losing week. So, as a team, three and one, gotta feel good. Like we said at the very beginning, don't care how it got done. Three wins to one loss. That's a good week. Yeah, I'm happy with that week. That's a good week for losers. Yeah. I've got Romeo Langford. All right, Seem, seems to have fell out the rotation dramatically. You know, we've seen him. He's been healthy. He's came in when it's been garbage time for one reason or another. He's got minutes then. But the Romeo Langford that was a core piece of this defensive unit that was getting serious minutes for a stretch, all of a sudden isn't getting any consideration. So you don't know whether that whether Udoka's like, hey, I feel like we've got more flow offensively without you on the floor and we're not really losing too much on defense. So, and, you know, because you're not impacting us with scoring as well, you're kind of a net negative at this point. We're going to sit you again. I don't know whether it's just somebody else is performing in that same role better, where maybe Josh Richardson's earned extra minutes and whoever else is getting some time. But I think Romeo was a guy that was 
getting the developmental minutes he needed. And I, I feel like we've started to see flashes of offense, but never enough where I'd even feel confident about him being like one of your primary guys. And I'm a big Romeo guy. So I feel like that was the big loss for the week um, is Romeo just completely and utterly free falling out of the rotation. Yeah, that's a good pick. I think that's a, you know, justified for sure. I think for mine, it's kind of a similar idea. I picked Al Horford, you know, he went 27.3% from three last week. He's 28% of the season. You know, as the season goes on, we're now we're now officially a little past the the halfway point. You know, I kept hoping that there was just a bad you know streak, but it it, it feels like the shooting is is just not there for Al right now, and so his minutes you know are down as he's twenty nine minutes on the season this past week. He's down to twenty four minutes overall per game. He's out of really the end of game rotation or end of game closing five uh, unless you know fouls or or injuries kind of dictate otherwise. And, you know, it, it's kind of a loss for, for Al, but I think in the long run, it's going to be a positive because I do think with his age, you know, the beginning of the season, it felt like, man, is this guy really 35? And now halfway through the season, he looks every bit of 35, maybe even 36, 37, you know? So I think him cutting down on his minutes, his shooting, I just don't know if that's coming back, but I think there's still a lot of stuff that he does defensively, playmaking, um, you know, just, just being a reliable big. And I think, eventually it's got to lead to not just him not being in the closing five. I think he needs to be taken out of the starting lineup. I think I want to see more of him and Rob sharing the court less so that their minutes can be staggered. And that ultimately takes away freedom's minutes, which, you know, trying to eradicate freedom here is not something I thought I'd say in 2022, but I'm trying to eradicate freedom from the, from, from the rotation. And to do that, I think you need to take Al out of that starting lineup so you can balance those minutes with him and Rob, uh, off the floor or when one of them's off the floor a little bit better but that's that's my loser of the week yeah and that's completely fair i think that you know al's defense is still solid i think he's switching yeah. quite well i think he's still blocking shots he's maybe not as mobile as he used to be but he's still good uh yeah. i class him as a, a high level backup or a low level starter at this point for sure um, I think it's part of me still wants to see grant williams kind of slide into that starting four four role yeah. rather than al horford but it is what it is and i do genuinely believe that grant williams long term will become that starter or will start getting more spot starts depending on who the celtics eventually replace horford with obviously they're replacing with Sabonis then Grant Williams isn't going up to that starting four spot, is he now? So, you know, there's uh, there's reasons to to see it and to not see it. And then for the week ahead, look, the Celtics have got the Pelicans on Monday, the Hornets on Wednesday. When I look at times, they're always a day ahead because <laughs> it's in English time. Uh, the Blazers on Friday and then the Wizards on Saturday. So four games between now and then. If you wanted to see my screen, it says the Hornets is on Thursday. No, it's not. Yeah, the, I said, the, 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 the Wizards are on Sunday, not Saturday. Oh, Sunday. Okay, you see? So, yeah, it confuses <laughs> me, man, because one minute they're on. Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah, because it's a, it's an early game. Okay, it's a matter there. Okay, I understand now. So let's stick to the three. Let's stick to the the Pelicans on the on the Monday matinee. We got Charlotte on Wednesday, and we got the Blazers on Friday. Three home games. I know last week, I think you and Greg both predicted three and one as, as what you were looking for for the week, yeah. and we got that. So what are you thinking for for this week? Let's like I said, let's just stick to those those three home games. Any less than three and zero is an absolute aberration. Uh, I'm being genuinely serious. This isn't me being a homer. This isn't me thinking, 
oh, the Celtics are better than everyone. You're playing the Pelicans, the Hornets, and the Blazers. The Pelicans have been awful all season. They figured out a few wins recently, you know, yeah. let's not give up. But overall, they've been one of the worst teams in the NBA without Zion Williamson. And Willie Reed, their head coach over at New Orleans, is not looking a good replacement for Van Gundy because it's a very similar team and they're, they're awful, let's be honest. Um, despite adding Valentinus as well, who yeah. I'm a bit, very big fan of. The Hornets, excellent offensive team, terrible defensive team, rank one of the lowest teams in the league for defensive rating. It's going to be it's going to be a fight. That one will be yeah. tough. But, you know, the Celtics are one of the better defensive teams in the league. So you should be able to limit their offensive opportunities and be able to figure out some way of scoring against a team that just lets up a million points every 10 seconds. And then the Blazers... I don't think we need to really speak about them. If you want to talk about yeah, prices, you can't lose that game. That's that to me. That's the biggest game you cannot lose. That game. if you want to talk Games about out, prices, CJ bro. maybe back, but yeah, they're they're the number one team in the NBA. That along with the Pacers, who we just you know beat two times in a row. Those are probably the top two teams that are in. You know what are we prices. even doing right now? Yeah, yeah. they're kind of they're at a that. big time crossroads. So for me, that's the one that absolutely no doubt about it. You know, and, and I feel like my heart says I'm with you that like three and oh is it absolutely should be on the table and this should my be a four game no. winning streak the next time you record. Like the next body. time you record on Sunday. But yeah. sorry. No, as you started to keep going, man. This is like this is the soundtrack to it here. <laughs> this is this is what we got going. But like I, I, I just feel like <laughs> I've seen this team too many times, Adam. I, know, I feel like bro. I feel like one of I these know. games they're going to to slip up. I don't know which, I I don't know if it's going to be that weird matinee. I don't know if that's in our favor. Like, I mean, like it was against the, the Suns where they came out and played one of the, the you know what scares me? I just remember the Pelicans game where it went for like 25 hours. We talked about that last, or a couple couple episodes ago. Maybe that will be another one. We'll see. It's a weird, weird time. So we'll see. I I, I think three and O's on the table. I think two and one would be my guess. And I would, I would assume either the Pelicans or Charlotte game would be the one that they drop. drop get the yeah. Points. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, anything less than three and is an aberration. The the Hornets game is, is the game where if you lose, I'll be a bit upset, but I can completely understand. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're a very, very, very good offensive team. They, I'm pretty sure they beat the Warriors earlier this season as well, if I'm not mistaken. I'm pulling that up just for fact checking. But other than that, I'm just like, yo, it should be a three and week, four and if you want to include the Wizards. I'm just looking to see when the Hornets played the Warriors. I'm pretty sure they beat the yeah, and and be, another they thing did. To keep they in beat mind the Warriors is, by four points on the 15th of November. Yeah, I mean another thing to keep in mind here with the Hornets as uh, as we're getting a little bit closer to the All Star game here, you know this this could be a game that people look to to say, all right, who gets one of those last those last All Star spots? Yeah, for is real, it Jason dude. Tatum? Is it Jalen Brown? Is it Lamelo Ball? Maybe throw Miles Bridges in there. I think he's probably a little bit outside the combo, but I think those other three guys are probably fighting for one of those last all-star spots. I think that's another little interesting subplot for that game on Wednesday. This is a game where you should see the best of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown because of how bad the Hornets are defensively and more because of how fast the Hornets play. It's going to be a really open game. I think you're going to see a lot of transition basketball, a lot of run and gun on both ends. And when the Celtics are in transition is when they're usually close to their best. So the, the way the Hornets play could really fall into the Celtics lap of, hey, this is a very good stylistic matchup for us. Let's make sure we're countering their speed with our precision. So I, I, again, I can see that game being the one that they could potentially drop. But overall, I'm expecting a, a 3-0 week. If you want to include the Wizards game, 
yeah, I'm down. I'm expecting a four and a week and what come at me. You know, that's the way <laughs> I'm at. With that, we can wrap up. So if you've enjoyed this show, make sure to go onto Spotify or Apple, scroll down. Well, Spotify is at the top. Leave the five stars at the top. If you're on Apple, scroll down. Leave the five stars. On Apple, you can write something very pretty. Adam, Will, Greg, they're great. They talk basketball. I like basketball. It's a good show. You know, something along those lines. Makes us feel good. Makes you feel good. Everybody's happy. If you're not one for leaving reviews, maybe it's like, hey, if I like something, I don't need to leave a review. I only leave a review if it's bad. You know, I had pizza the other day like that. Didn't leave a review. I understand. I get it. I'm the same. You can do a different thing for us. You can help us grow in other ways. And my boy Will is about to tell you how to do so. Yeah, we're a big fan of word of mouth in this podcast. So anytime you're out and about, you're at the grocery store, maybe you're talking to your delivery guy, maybe like how Adam, he had a pizza delivered. Maybe he could have told his pizza guy, hey, man, I'm on the Celtics blog podcast with Three Man Weave. You should check it out. That would have been a great way to go ahead and do this. So anybody that you're interacting with out there in the world, make sure you go ahead and tell them to tune in and check out the Celtics blog podcast with Adam, Will, Greg together. Collectively, we are the Three Man Weave. Tune in and check us out. That was a great album, right? By the math. Oh, it was fantastic. I love it. Oh, I think about it every, every time you listen album. to me and I have to mention word of mouth. It's the only thing. I think I made a joke about it the first time, but I was like, I can't do that every time. But it's unbelievable. It's such what a good an album. album dude. What an album. If you've never listened to the word of mouth album by our boy Ludacris, make sure you go check that out. Luda. Until next time. Luda. Until next time. Namaste. Go sees. Ain't disrespecting you haters, I ain't sweating your opinion Y'all been testing my patience, never did it for a check I've been impressed with the famous, just rather be creative Than stressing my wages, ageless, every time I lay a verse down One play at a time, keep it moving like a first down And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this MJ never made it to the majors, still he chased greatness Expected that he might fail, and I might too I might never get to pop champagne, celebrating with the crew This ain't everything I am, it's something that I do